Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. I don't know if you remember this or not, but there was an ad campaign from Geico years ago, and the idea was that switching to Geico insurance and using their website was so easy a caveman could do it. Do you remember those commercials? Got a picture of, the, of uh, one of those, I think, up here to show you, to get you, you know, in that frame of mind. So you remember the cavemen? Uh, there were a lot of good ones on there. And uh, so that was, you know, a very simple idea. They tried to make a TV show of that. didn't work out so well, but you can see why. Uh, these guys aren't the smartest guys in the world, so it's hard to make a TV show about Neanderthals. But anyway, the idea is that Geico said it was such an easy thing to do that even a caveman could do it. Well, today, as we continue our series, Outsiders, we're going to look at the most difficult, easy thing to do. We'll be in Acts chapter 12 today, the first part of Acts 12, and we're going to look at the most difficult, easy thing to do, and that simply is prayer. Prayer is the most difficult, easy thing to do. We'll see that here in Acts chapter 12 as we walk through what I'm going to look at really are six instructions that we can pull from this account in Acts 12. Six instructions that if we kind of follow them and and follow this sort of pattern of prayer, some of the steps are easy, some of the instructions are simple. Uh, Prayer in and of itself is a simple thing to do, but there's parts of it that are sometimes difficult to navigate. So we'll look at some of these here, the most difficult, easy thing to do to get, hopefully, through prayers, what we want is supernatural results. We want God to hear our prayer, answer our prayer, and do things that are impossible without him. And so we'll see that today as we look at prayer. So we'll look at these six instructions here uh, for just a few minutes from Acts chapter 12, and we'll jump right into the first one. So the first instruction that we can pull from Acts 12 is to pray desperately. The first instruction here that we see in Acts 12 is to pray desperately. Let's look at Acts 12. We'll start at verse number 1. Read the first five verses at the outset here. Acts 12. This is a really interesting uh, story, especially as we get going on here this morning. Acts 12, 1 through 5. Luke writes this. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. He does not want Peter to get away. Okay? Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. So once again, we see this theme in the church in the book of Acts. They are under constant threat, constant opposition. But we see it's sort of ramping up here in this case. So we've had important people like Saul persecute the church at times. Uh, We've had even the Jewish religious leaders, the Jewish government oppose them. And now we're seeing the political authorities killing and imprisoning the apostles, the leaders of the church. Herod Agrippa is the guy mentioned here. We'll talk more about him next week. There's a, the story we'll, we'll finish this series off with next week. 
it'll just kind of blow your mind. It's a weird story. It's very Old Testament-y in a way. So we'll talk more about him next week. But needless to say, he's just another in a long line of tyrants who just don't quite get, they can't stop what God's doing. Like they, they, they have their plans and they have their schemes and they try to imprison people and they try to, you know, do, uh, undo what God's doing and they just can't figure out. They just don't have that much power. They just don't have that much authority. It doesn't matter who it was, what time period, from what nation, they will just never learn that God's will can't be stopped, that God's will will go forward. As Jesus says, his church will prevail. Even the gates of hell can't prevail against it. But they are incurring some uh, opposition here. James has been beheaded. He's been killed. Uh, and his brother John will be the last to write, he'll write Revelation. He'll be the last apostle to die. So his brother's the first to be martyred, and he'll be the last to die. And Peter is imprisoned, and it says here, because Herod saw that it pleased the Jewish leaders. So it's not, you know, Herod could say, it's nothing personal, man, it's political. And he would be right. That would be accurate. He'd be telling the truth. The, the line of Herod, as we'll talk about next week, are just political animals. They do whatever is politically expedient in the moment because they want to keep their job and their power and their life because they're under Roman rule, but they kind of have some power. As long as they keep the people in check, they're okay. And so it's a political move. Now, what's interesting here about James being beheaded and Peter being imprisoned is some people want to make something out of this. And I've read this a lot and, and even heard some pastors um, try to say, well, the, the church wasn't praying, and so James was killed, and the church prayed, and so as we'll see, Peter's not going to be killed. I, I don't think that's accurate. I mean, even from the text, you can see the different situations that they're in. James was killed in kind of a sneak attack. There was no warning. There was no heads up. There was just, hey, in prison, beheaded, we're done. But Peter was imprisoned around Passover, so it's different. I think if Herod could have, he would have killed Peter the same way. Kill him, you know, arrest him, chop his head off, we're done with him. But it was during Passover, so even Herod, who's Jewish by heritage, but not really Jewish, he is not practicing by any stretch of the imagination, he knows he cannot break Jewish law by, kill it, by uh, killing anyone, any prisoners, during Passover. Much like Jesus when he was crucified around the same time. So, Peter has to wait. So now the church does have warning. They do have a heads up. So they pray. They pray desperately for Peter to be free to not receive the same fate that James did. And, and I, I don't like the idea that the church didn't pray and so James was killed. It's like, so did they want James to be killed? Is that what we're saying? You know, like they withheld their prayer. No, that doesn't make any sense. And uh, one commentator, Craig Keener, he says that's not the point of the story anyway. Luke gives certain details for a reason. So all Luke is trying to do here is to show when the first apostle was murdered. So there have been other Christians who've been martyred, but James is the first apostle, the first of the 12 of Jesus' original followers who are martyred. So he's making this historic note in the text quickly, but the main point of the story is the power of prayer in Peter's life later on in Acts chapter 12. So I don't want to make too much about that as some try to, but the church prayed desperately for Peter. And we need to pray desperately as God's people. Now, when I say desperately, I don't mean panicky. Okay, so I don't, don't, I don't want you to go to God. Okay, God, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you're listening. I don't know if you can do this. I'm not sure if it's too big or too small. I don't really want to bother you. And I don't, no, 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 no. And that's not what we're saying here. We're saying that we should view prayer as our only option, as the only real hope that we have. We should approach prayer in that posture with that sort of desperation that, God, I have plans, but you have a purpose. I have desires, but you have a design. I have wants and wishes, but you have a will. So I'm coming to you with that posture, that sort of desperate posture. There's only so much that I can do about the situation. 
but you're unlimited in what you can do, so I'm coming to you with this request. I have little to no control over anything that happens to me, but I'm coming to you, God, because I believe that you have all control. So I'm giving it to you. I'm putting the ball on your court. I'm laying this at your feet and saying, God, do what you will with this situation, with this problem, with this need. We should pray desperately. It should be a priority. So let me ask you, in your life, is prayer a priority, desperate prayer a priority? Or is it just an add-on, a thing that we do once in a while when we think about it? When I'm really in a jam, then I'll come to God and I'll get really like frantically desperate. But if it's a pattern, we can pray desperately and see God move in our life on a regular basis. That's the first instruction we see here from Acts 12. The second really instruction here from Acts 12 is pray and be at peace. Now, this is one of the difficult parts. We said it's a difficult, easy thing to do. This one's hard to do. Pray and be at peace. But look at Peter in this situation. Remember, he's got 16 guards guarding this one guy. So he must definitely be a flight risk. Like Herod's heard, this guy can escape from prison. He's done it a few times. He might do it again. So he's got guards. And then look at this, Acts 12, verse 6. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. So he is locked he is not going anywhere, okay? He, he's chained between two guards, other guards there, at least 16 guards listed in the first five verses here in Acts 12. But is Peter stressing out in prison? Is he planning an escape? Uh, is he cursing his enemies sitting up at night? I'm going to get you and I'm going to get them and God's going to punish them. He's asleep. That's peace. Peter's a man of prayer. He knows the church is praying. He's at peace. And, and I can only think that Peter might be thinking about a different time as he's maybe dreaming uh, about this, uh, a time in the Gospels where uh, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat on the lake, and as happens quite often in that lake, a storm comes in the middle of the night, and they are fran- they're professional fishermen, but they're still so frantic by the, this storm, they think they're going to die. And they're looking around, and they're counting all 12 disciples, but they can't find Jesus anywhere. Where's Jesus? Here's what it says, Mark 4, 38 and 39. He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Even in this storm in the boat, Jesus is at peace he's asleep and not only is he at peace but when he gets up he doesn't freak out either he 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 i'm sure he knows yeah there's probably a storm he wakes up okay guys yeah there's a storm he wakes he sees the storm and he just says peace so he's at peace and then he speaks peace peter's living a similar moment here in his life he's not in a physical literal storm but his life is on the line but he knows jesus is with me in this storm in this moment, I'm chained between guards, the guards posted everywhere. There's a fortress. They're not wanting me to get out of here, but I can sleep the night before my trial, knowing how trials tend to go for guys like me, knowing I'm probably going to end up like my buddy James, yet I can be at peace. So let me ask you, what are you facing today? Or what have you been facing lately? What is that thing that you're desperately praying about? Do you find yourself in an impossible situation today? Maybe it's a physical ailment that you've had for weeks or months or years. Maybe it's emotional scars from the past that just haunt your life. 
Maybe it's relational wounds that just can't seem to heal. Maybe it's a financial mess that seems to only get worse. Maybe it's spiritually you feel hopeless or you're all over the place and so confused and don't know what to do or where to turn or, or what to do next. Maybe you need peace in the midst of your storm. You can pray and be at peace. And that's why it's difficult. Like I know that sounds, oh, that's too simplistic and that's the Christian answer. And of course the pastor's going to say that. So you might think, well, that's it. Just pray and be at peace. And that's not really it. That's just the first step in the right direction. Pray and be at peace. Because I would ask this, how often do the other methods that we try work? How often does stress help you figure a thing out? It makes it worse, usually, doesn't it? How often does fear help you conquer an issue? It usually doesn't. It does the opposite. How's that working out for you? So let's try, pray, and be at peace. There's a, a hymn I thought of this week in studying what a friend we have in Jesus. Listen to the words of this hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Now catch this. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We forfeit peace when we neglect to pray. So we can pray and be at peace. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So it's not just a trick, pray and be at peace, but it's what prayer does that causes us to be at peace when we pray. Because prayer puts trust in God. As Isaiah says, it fixes our thoughts continually on God. It takes the focus off of me and my problems and my limitations and my worries and fears and puts my focus on God who has none of those issues. That brings peace. And if you're not convinced of that, I'm not convinced that you've tried it, to be fair. And if you're not sure if it works, try it again. Pray and be at peace. Give it to God. Here's the third instruction that we see as we continue in Acts chapter 12, and that is, this is kind of the fun part of the story, pray and experience power. Pray and experience power. Again, the fun part of the story, moving on, Acts 12, pick it up at verse number 7. So Peter's chained between two guards, at least 16 guards in the cell with him, or in the jail with him. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell. Remember, Peter's asleep. There's a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. So again, picture this scene. Peter's asleep. All of a sudden, he gets kicked on the side. Someone says, wake up. And he says, wake up, put your shoes on, put your coat on, get dressed, let's go. Does that sound, parents, like familiar every Monday through Friday morning? 
kick your kid in the side, get, maybe, not, maybe not doing that part, but you, you know, get him up, get up, get dressed, put your shoes on, oh, put your socks on, then your shoes on, put your, coat, put your shirt on, then put your coat on, let's go, we're five minutes late. That's kind of what this scene is here in this jail cell with Peter. But notice what else happens. In the middle of all this, this angel comes, first of all, that's wild. Then the chains fall off of Peter. They pass by several guards on the way. I don't know if he had the invisibility cloak angel or, or what was going on here, uh, but they pass by these guards unseen, unnoticed. Then the iron gate to the city opens on its own, and they walk down the street. Those are pretty powerful results. Peter's experiencing the power of God in this moment because the church had been praying. The impossible happened. It's the power of prayer. And the entire time, it's so funny, the entire time Peter's still kind of asleep. He thinks he's dreaming or having a vision. He doesn't know this is actually happening to him in the flesh. He's in the middle of a town like, wait a second, I'm really out of this prison. How did that happen? And you would say, well, why? Here, I think it's important to note that Peter was asleep the entire time. And the reason I think that's important is because it wasn't Peter's power that pulled this off. It wasn't his plan that made this happen. He wasn't even conscious of what was happening. He wasn't orchestrating an escape. He wasn't planning a prison break. He was just a passive participant to the power of prayer. It had to be God. There's no other explanation. Peter couldn't hatch this up. He couldn't have, you know, oceans 11 his way out of this thing. And yet he finds himself out of the prison in the middle of town. He's experiencing God's power and the power of prayer. He's He's not forcing it. He's not manufacturing it. He's not making it happen. He's not pulling enough levers, and he's not just hitting the jackpot. He's experiencing the power of prayer, and your prayer has power. James, the brother of Jesus, not the James that was killed, but once James, the brother of John, is executed, by this point, this James, who wrote the book of James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, is now sort of the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he writes this, James 5, verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Your prayer has great power, James says. Notice he says, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other. He doesn't just say it's for the holy person that's been a Christian for 50 years. You don't have to earn like a gold star or have it be a four-star Christian. It's not just for the pastor. Now, hopefully my prayer has power, and I'm happy to pray with you and for you, but your prayer has power just as much as mine. Just as much as anyone else's, your prayer has power. Your prayer can open prison doors. Your prayer can set captives free. Your prayer can bring about the, the salvation of someone that you love. Christ's power can be unleashed through your prayer. Your prayer can loose chains that bind people from addiction, from pride, from anger, from bitterness, from fear. So if you and I want to see lives change, and I think that we do, and if we want to see situations change, and I'm sure that we do, if we want to see our country do a 180, and I'm sure that we do, if we want to see the impossible happen, then let's pray and experience power. That's the result of prayer is God answers prayer. Your prayer can unleash power like you've never known before. Just give it a shot and see what God can do. Pray and experience power. The next instruction that we see from Acts 12 is another hard one. And that's pray and believe. 
pray and believe. Now, this is sort of a, a funny scene in the story. I, again, I think the whole, you know, Peter getting kicked by an angel and getting dressed at night in his sleep is kind of funny, but this part as well, a little humorous. Acts 12, pick it up at verse number 12. So Peter's freed, and it says this, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. So they're praying still. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. So I think of this scene as like a sitcom scene, okay? So you got Peter, who just escaped out of prison, finds the house of his friend, knocks on the door. Someone from the inside says, who's there? And he says, it's Peter. It's Peter? Yeah, it's Peter. That Peter? Yeah, that Peter. I thought you were in prison. I thought I was too. And then nothing, because she's run in to tell everyone. Like, she forgets she needs to open the door and let him in. So she runs into the group, says, hey, guys, you're never going to get at the door. Who is it? It's Peter. Peter? Peter. That Peter? That Peter. Oh, I thought he was in prison. Well, I did too, but he's at the door. Well, did you let him in? Well, no, but it sounds like him. Are you sure it's Peter? Well, it sounds like. So she goes back to the door, and he's still, hey, Rhoda, hey, anybody? Yeah, it's cold, you know. I just got dressed in the middle of the night. Let me in. And so then they finally let him in, and they see him, and they're like, this is too good to be true. Okay, That's what's going on here. Uh, they finally let him in, and they realize God did what we thought, and they still can't believe it. It's what they prayed for. It's what they wanted to happen. It's what they hoped for, but they still had a hard time believing Peter's been on the other end of this as well. Another time where the disciples are in a boat without Jesus at night, and they're crossing this lake, and all of a sudden a storm comes up, a lot of the same type of situation they find themselves in. You think they would expect it by now. They're in this storm without Jesus this time, and suddenly in the distance they see a figure in the middle of the lake in a storm at night. And they kind of keep looking, and they're trying to just survive, you know, the waves, and they're trying not to get seasick and whatever. And then they, they, the image gets closer, and they think it's a ghost. Remember when the, when the girl knocks on the door, they said, oh, it's got to be his ghost, right? It's got to be his angel or his spirit. Because they thought either he's dead or it's a messenger telling them he's dead. It's probably what they thought. So the disciples, they're like, that's, that's, we got to be seeing stuff. You know, this is crazy. And Peter, of all the people, said, I think that's Jesus, and so he says, hey, Jesus, if, if, if it's you out there, tell me to come to you in the water, and I'll know it's you. And so Jesus says, come on in, the water's fine. Again, in the middle of a storm at night, wind and waves, Peter crawls out of the boat, gets on the other side, and starts walking on the water toward Jesus. But then what happened? He starts looking at the reality of the situation around him. Wind, waves, rain, and then he thinks, wait, this isn't possible. I'm actually on the water. And then he begins to sink. And look at Matthew 14, 31. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? It's an interesting word, the way he phrased that. Not why did you doubt, not why did you doubt yourself. Why did you doubt me? And you think, well, Peter didn't really doubt, did he? He had enough faith to get out of the boat. More faith than I probably am going to have in that moment. He had enough faith to actually start walking some distance toward Jesus in this situation. And yet, reality kicked in. Wait, wait, wait. This is not possible. What's happening? 
And then he looks at the storm and looks at everything, and this is not possible. So he knew that Jesus could do anything, but in that moment, he had a hard time actually believing it. Prayer might be an easy thing to do, but sometimes the believing part can be the difficult thing because reality kicks in. Well, the doctor said it was inoperable. The specialist said there's no cure. I've exhausted every other option in this situation. Well, that, that, that person, they've been addicted for so long, there's no way God can do that. I've tried reaching out to them, they won't respond. That one time, you remember that one time God didn't answer my prayer, so I'm not sure. This is an impossible situation that I'm in. Or maybe I've just accepted how this is going to be. That's how my life is. Or you think, look at someone and say, well, they're never, they're never going to change. God can never do anything with that. See, it's easy to pray, but it's sometimes hard to believe what we're actually praying. So do the easy thing and pray, yes, and then do the difficult thing and believe. It reminds me of another instance in the life of Jesus where he's been told his friend Lazarus is dead. Remember this story? I'm sure you do. So he waits three days, four days, and then travels to where he is. And by that time, Lazarus is dead. He was sick. Now he's dead. And so when he gets there, both Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, who are great friends of Jesus, they say, if you had been here earlier, he wouldn't have died. And so to Martha, Jesus says, well, Lazarus will rise from the dead. And Martha says, well, I know, get, this is reality. She, they asked for Jesus to come because they knew he could heal, and they probably know he can raise the dead too. So this shouldn't be a big stretch for them, but reality kicks in because it's their brother, and he's really dead. Because she says, well, I know that at the last resurrection of the dead, he'll rise with all of us who are dead. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's, that's the reality you're facing. I'm telling you, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Any man who believes in me, even though he dies, he will still live again. And then Jesus asks her, do you believe this? So I'm going to ask you the same question. Do you believe this? Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, Paul writes this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above anything you can ask, think, or pray? Do you believe this? Do you believe that God is the God of the impossible? That he's the God of all power? That he is the creator and sustainer of the entire universe. And on top of that, he's your loving heavenly father that wants the best for your life. Do you believe this? If you believe this, and let's pray like it. If you believe it, let's pray and believe. Not pray and doubt. Because earlier in James, he says, if you pray and you don't believe, you're a double-minded person. God will not answer that prayer. So we have to pray and believe. Again, science says it's not possible you know, reason says this is not likely. My thought process says, it says no, it's probably not how it's supposed to work, but I, I'm praying and believing for God to answer this prayer. That's impossible. Let's pray and believe. Then the fifth in, uh, encouragement here or instruction here is what Peter does, and that is to pray and tell. Pray and tell. Acts 12, 17, Peter motioned for them to quiet down, and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said, and then he went to another place. 
So when Peter was arrested and his life was in the balance, word spread so more people could pray. And when God supernaturally answered their prayer, Peter told them and told them to tell others so more people could then praise. So the prayer is spreading, so more people can pray, and then the miracle is spread by Peter saying, hey, tell everybody what God did, what happened in detail, so more people could praise. It's both, it's before and after. So our prayer should be the same way. Whatever needs you have, we should share them with each other. You're not being a bother or a downer, you know, you're not sucking the life out of the party. We are to bear one another's burdens. So that's part of who we are as a people of God. We share needs and requests with one another so more people can powerfully pray and believe God. That's why those, you know, connect cards are in there, those orange cards. Even if you're not new and you have a prayer need, on the back of that is a spot for you to write a prayer need that you might have. And we have a team that prays every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. right here in, in the building uh, for, the, for the gathering we're about to have, for whatever needs come in, for whatever things are going on. And so make use of those cards, make use of that uh, team every Sunday morning because they're going to pray. And so we, we pray and we tell, we share those needs. And then after, when God answers, share that. Pray and tell so that more people can praise. Because maybe, here's the power of a testimony. It's not just I can tell what God did, but there might be someone who hears that story that's going through the same thing you went through. That's going to increase their faith to believe God for the impossible for them. There might be somebody who hears your testimony of, of what God did in your life, and they're struggling in their faith in general. That might be the thing that triggers something, that little seed that begins to grow in their heart. Wow, okay, maybe this God thing is real. Maybe the Holy Spirit is powerful. Maybe God can do anything. And so maybe, maybe I should dip my toes into the water a little bit more. That's the power of praying and telling. Sharing that testimony is an encouragement and a motivator for others. And hopefully it starts a domino effect of God just answering prayer, answering prayer, miracles, healings, signs, wonders. And it's not, so sometimes we, we reject that. Well, I don't want to brag. I don't want to, you know, no, no, no. Brag on God all the time. Give him all the glory for everything he does. That's a good thing. Pray and tell and tell and tell. So we can increase the faith of those around us. So we pray and tell both before and after. That's the key. And then the last thing that we'll mention as we close is this. Pray and keep praying. Pray and keep praying. Acts 12, 18 and 19, we'll finish up this story. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Yeah, no kidding. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. So this episode is over. It has a very happy ending, like a, mirac a, a terrible beginning, a miraculous middle, and an amazing happy ending. That's great. But is the church going to stop praying now? No. Because they know more persecution is going to come. This is going to anger Herod. He's going to come after us like never before now. It's going to spread because the Jewish leaders that wanted him dead, as well as James, are not going to be happy. They're going to pressure us even more and oppose us even more. We know it's going to only get worse, so we have to keep praying. And they know that there are more things in the church that still need prayer. We have the insider-outsider issue in the church, people trying to figure out how to do life together, how to get along from different backgrounds. It's a new thing for them that needs prayer. More people need to be reached with the message of Jesus. That needs prayer. They need prayer for effective ministry in and through the church. So prayer is not just a one-time thing or a short-term thing. It is a lifelong thing. 
It is a persistent and consistent thing. One more scripture as we close. It's, Ma- it's the words of Jesus, Matthew 7, verse 7. Jesus says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Maybe you're familiar with this acronym in prayer called PUSH. P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. That's what Jesus is telling us here. Pray until something happens. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. And then once the door is open, you keep pushing for the next thing that's in your life. Because another need will always arise. Another question will always surface. More problems will always come. And so we pray and keep on praying. And, and Paul, the famous words, uh, he says, pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Prayer is who we are as God's people. It's what we do. May we be a people who are marked by prayer. May we see the value of prayer. May we pray and believe and experience the power of prayer. And my heart is that we would continually do the most difficult, easy thing to do, and that is live a life of prayer. Let's pray. God, I hope today has emphasized to us the importance of prayer and the power of prayer, the need for prayer in our lives. Help us to pray desperately, to be completely dependent upon you, that prayer is not our last resort, it's our only option. I'm going to mess it up worse if I get involved. So I'm just going to give that to you. I'm not going to have the words. I don't have the power, the ability, the wisdom, the know-how, the strength to do anything. So I'm going to just give it to you as a first resort and not a last. I'm going to be desperate in my prayer. Help us as we pray to believe and be at peace. Not to worry that you've got it handled, not to fear that you heard and that you, but we just know we're at peace because we believe in you completely. And I pray that we would experience the power that comes through prayer, where impossibility is not a thing in our vocabulary anymore, where doubt is no longer a thing that shadows over us because we believe in your unlimited supernatural power to answer our prayer. And as we pray, may we share our needs with others. And as you answer, may we share our testimonies with others to pray and tell of your goodness and your greatness, of your power and your love. May we be a people marked by prayer, to pray and keep on praying, to pray without ceasing because we know the effective prayer of a righteous person has great power and has great results. So I pray that even as we pray this week, we would see your hand move in our hearts and our lives. We would see your hand move in the hearts and lives of others. We would see answered prayers as a result of not anything about us, but your power at work within us. That's the power of our prayer. So bless us today as we leave this place. Keep us safe as we leave this place. Give us a great rest of our day and a great week this week full of powerful prayer. And bring us back next time ready for more of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.